Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, if you want to pick up a Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 51 for the next maybe three weeks. I can't tell you yet because I'm not quite sure. I thought it was going to be one Sunday. And then God started to speak, and I started to to sense there's things in my life that he wants to address through this. And so I hope as we walk through this today, we're going to open up some key themes next week. My plan is to walk through this psalm kind of verse by verse. And then in the last week, what I want to do is to really ask this question, which I think is, is vital, something we all need to ask is, you know, what did David want and what do I want? What is this psalm really communicating? And, and what is it that's at the heart of David as he's going through this transition in life, this period in life, this hardship in life where he's, he's been found out? Have you ever been found out? Not intentionally, but found out. That's where David is. And so as we jump into Psalm 51, we'll just, I think we'll just jump into the first First 12 verses, let's jump into it, Psalm 51, and, and discover this gift that God has given us that sets us free called confession. The word of the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray. Father, I just take a deep breath as we walk into a story that has tremendous emotional but also relational weight, capital that's been paid out in blood and sacrifice and suffering and hurt and heartache. We walk into this story, Father, maybe not realizing the full depths of sin and consequence that David went through. But Father, we do know sin and consequence. And so in that space, what I'm praying for today for us is freedom. The freedom to be known and the freedom to be loved that comes from confession and the terrifying step of walking into your holiness and finding steadfast love and abundant mercies. Father, meet us here, we'd ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Bonhoeffer he has this quote that stuck with me this week. He says, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. He who is alone in sin is utterly alone. 
You know, today I have something exciting actually to start off with. I want to introduce to you, and the elders don't know I'm about to do this, two new elder candidates. In fact, these are elder candidates that the elders don't even know are candidates. But I chose to share them with you today anyways. And I want to show you, you know, these two men, they've agreed to expose their lives. But I don't want to expose their names right off the start for fear of maybe bringing shame. But I want to bring the first candidate up. And, and this is just a beginning list of, I guess, his greatest hits, you could say. It started off with adultery, and out of that adultery was this egregious abuse of power and authority. And through that storyline, there is this consistent need to cover up, to hide, uh, to blame others. When those came towards him to rebuke him, he rejected that rebuke. Murder, not just murder, but conspiracy to bring others into murder. Willful disobedience of God's law complete failure to shepherd his family and his nation, very much prone to pride and self-exaltation. What do you think? Great candidate for elder at Bergen Park Church. And if you know the story of the New Testament, the qualifications for an elder is someone with a good reputation, faithful in marriage, what do you think? Now, maybe this isn't the best candidate. Let's go to the second candidate. Now, this one is a little bit different, but there's some similarities. It starts off with idolatry, heresy, the worship of false gods throughout his life, building temples to false gods, which means promoting the worship of false gods in his family and in his nation, a failure, again, to shepherd and lead exploitative uh, labor practices, excessive, excessive luxury and wealth, disobedience of God's law, an utter rejection of God's sexual design for humanity. And to be honest, there's little evidence in this man's life of repentance. So what do you think? Excellent candidate. Now, if... If you've been following, I imagine you're starting to put some, maybe some probable names to these first two candidates. And the first one is David, the man after God's own heart. How does your life compare? What are we afraid of when it comes to the sin that's in our life? When David is willing to bring this into God's presence. And who's the second candidate? Solomon. Little evidence of repentance. Maybe the book of Ecclesiastes, go look it up. Do you ever see repentance in Solomon's life? Though he's a man of great wisdom. And the reason I share that is just to set that alongside your life and realize these are men that God radically pursued. And realize pursued in their sinfulness and in their brokenness and in their state of a lack of humility, God chased after them with abundant mercy and steadfast love. And if this is what's available to us, are we willing to bring the fullness of who we are and what we've experienced into the light of God's presence? 
And then what's really transformative is through that to bring the truth of who we are into the light of your presence. Because see, this is the nature and the character of our God. The statement that's repeated most often about God's character is actually in Exodus chapter 34. It's the most repeated statement of the nature and the character of God as Moses is with the Lord and he says, Lord, who are you? Show me your glory. And in Exodus 34 verse six, we find this. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clears the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on their children to the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, I want you to notice that sin has an impact in our life and in the lives of our children when it's unconfessed to the third and fourth generation, but mercy and grace goes to thousands of generations. When a life is transformed, it has the possibility of transforming a nation. This is the character of our God. And then in 2 Peter chapter three, verse nine, here's how Peter describes God's character when it comes to our sin. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient. He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all that would come to repentance. Confession is what bridges our sin and shame with God's love and mercy. You know, over the last, I think, five, maybe five years or so, I've seen a number of people I've deeply respected in organizations absolutely fail. And I want you to know they didn't fail because of their sin. God expects to find sin. It's not surprised. But God is disheartened when he finds secrecy. Ravi Zacharias loved this man, still do. As a young believer, Ravi Zacharias was a a giant of the faith for me because of his incredibly satisfying arguments. But more than that, his ability to argue with arguments instead of with people. And that's what I really, in meeting him a number of times, valued about him was he cared for others. And I thought that was unique. And yet what destroyed his ministry was not his sin. It was his secrecy. Kanakuk camps. Now, I never went to Kanakuk, but I had a number of mentors and friends who were leaders in that organization And what tore down that beautiful ministry is not, again, sin. It's the refusal to admit what's going on. You know, I was ordained early in 1995, a young man in the Southern Baptist Church. And recently at their last convention, instead of addressing the secrecy of sin within their midst, instead they wanted to chase after cultural issues and pretend as if that's really the threat, when the threat is the secrecy within their own body that they're not willing to confess. Church, what's going to destroy us and our reputation in the world? It's not your sin, because people outside the church can identify with that. What destroys us is our hypocrisy and our secrecy and our refusal to bring our fallenness into the presence of a God who calls himself abounding in mercy and steadfast love. 
What's holding us back? He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. You know, what made David a man after God's own heart? It's the Psalms. That when he was exposed, he took the terrifying step of walking into the light of God's holiness and there encountering steadfast love and abundant mercy. David, instead of covering and hiding and blaming, he ran into the presence of God and found freedom. Because the one thing I think all of us want is to be known and to be loved, to belong and to matter. And here's, I think, what we tell ourselves, because I've replayed this in my mind. If you knew what I have done, you will not love me and you do not want to know me. That is the greatest deceit of the enemy because it keeps us enslaved from bringing what is true about us, what we've actually experienced into the light of love, mercy, and forgiveness, which literally sets the captive free and transforms thousands. Confession is a gift of God's mercy and grace. And so what I wanna do is just set the scene and then next week we'll dive a little deeper. It's just to set the scene for what happened that led up to Psalm 51. And I wanna introduce to you actually the introduction to this Psalm, which is before actually verse one. And it says this, Psalm 51, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into code for adultery, Bathsheba. And so we have David the king. Here's the players, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Uriah, one of David's mighty men, his loyal warriors. And we discover in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that David has risen to the power of king. And some commentators suggest that as he rose to that position of power, he started to make compromises. Compromises that were little and small but unconfessed caused David to walk into a position of pride and to take what was not his. He sees Bathsheba. You may know the story. She's bathing probably on a rooftop. There are more than likely sheets that are around her, but he, he has the right angle. He sees, he clicks. He lusts after her. He uses his power, at least I believe that's what happens, to take her for himself. And Bathsheba was Uriah's wife, not David's. Who was Uriah? A man who saved David's life. This is how he repays him. He was one of David's mighty men, 40 men who while Saul, the other king, was trying to take David out, they protected him, they sat beside him, they loved him, they prayed for him. This is how David repays loyalty. David sleeps with her and she's pregnant. Now, I imagine when he heard that news, it went through his head, I should out this. This is serious. He could have stopped it right there, but instead, like Adam and Eve, he hides, he covers, he blames. Uriah, why don't you come back from the battlefield? Why don't you report to me what's going on? He sets up, as we do, right? This 
plan to get out from under what I have done. Uriah, come on back. What's going on in the battlefield, brother? Man, that must be tough. Why don't you just go home to Bathsheba? Spend the night. Who knows what could happen? Uriah had too much integrity. My men are on the battlefield. I will not go home. I will sleep with my servants. David, you have another chance. Come on, man. God in his mercy and grace is not allowing your deceit to work. Have you been there? Failed the first time. Pride. Failed the second time. Pride. Okay. So David goes after a third time. Uriah goes back and he says to Joab, who was the commander of the army, Joab, listen, uh, I don't know how he explained this, but I want you to advance on the army and I want you to put Uriah at the front. And when you're about to confront the other army, I want you to pull everybody back so that Uriah is there. And imagine Joab's like, what? He's like, David, we can't, the men won't do that. It didn't work. He has yet another opportunity to confess, to stop. But instead what he does is instead of just murdering Uriah, he sends the entire army into battle, which also takes Uriah out. How many times does David have to go through this process of covering and hiding and covering and hiding? Because when we do, it not only damages us, it damages the people around us, it damages our relationship. He who is alone with his sin is, is utterly alone. But see, God did not give up on David. Instead, David had this friend, Nathan, and all of us need Nathans in our life. And by God's grace, God moves Nathan to come to David. And this conversation takes place. And I want to pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And notice in verse 1, the grace of God and the Lord sent Nathan to David. What would you have sent to David at this point? I would have sent rebuke, condemnation. Are you kidding me? God has rescued you and rescued you and rescued you. How dare you continue to walk in this rebellion? David, ah, what is wrong with you? What does God send to us? He sends Nathan. And see, I think Nathan knew David. He knew not to confront David directly. But he had to come at David from a different angle. And so he comes to him and he says to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up. You can imagine sleeping in his bed. He grew up with him and with his children. And, and he used to eat his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Wow. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said in the most direct sermon illustration of all time, David, David, I love you. 
you are that man. What would it have felt like to hear that from somebody you love? And someone who loves you, you know? And suddenly you realize this story is is a message of grace. But did you notice David's reaction? The Old Testament has laws. When you steal a lamb, you pay back fourfold. It's not the death penalty. But you know, men and women who are walking in shame, they condemn others because they condemn themselves. When you have unconfessed sin in your life, you're going to take it out on yourself. And if you take it out on yourself, what are you going to give someone else? We are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And we are to love ourselves as we experience the love of God. How how can we love our neighbor if we do not confess and experience the love of God? What we're gonna do is condemn our neighbor. And I think our nation and honestly, sometimes our churches are filled with condemnation instead of grace because we don't know forgiveness. And we walk in secrecy and instead of the freedom of being known and being loved. So jump back just for a moment in in verse one. And I want you to notice what was it that compelled David at at this moment. He says, have mercy on me, O God. And here's why. According to your steadfast love and hold that. And according to your abundant mercy, two pretty key words in the Old Testament. Steadfast love means hesed. Hesed is God's covenantal commitment to you and to his people. God cannot be anything but hesed towards his people. And abundant mercy is exactly what it sounds like, a mercy that doesn't run out. So that when David confesses, and he takes that first terrifying step, and I do believe it's a terrifying step, when you walk into the holiness of God, into the light of the truth. And it's only in light that sin can be confessed. It's only when you can see that you can acknowledge. And he walks into the light of God's presence. And what does he experience? Steadfast covenantal commitment to him that goes beyond his behavior and beyond his merit. We're often loved on the basis of merit, right? David was loved out of the heart of God. And he experienced abundant mercy. And it reminds me of that story in John chapter 8. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and yet, as far as I know, adultery is a team sport. But she alone is thrown. You could imagine these men, right, throwing her down into the dust at the foot of Jesus. Jesus, death penalty. How does he respond? Stone-cold silence. Sometimes that's the best way to respond to hypocrisy. Let them think. And just when it became unbearable, right? You who were without sin. Now, he's not saying only sinless people can carry out God's justice. He's saying and exposing the sin of that moment and their hypocrisy. He's allowing them to see themselves. And what do they do? They walk away. And then this woman who turns and looks into the eyes of love and mercy. Has anyone condemned you? No. 
Neither do I. Freedom. Go and leave your life of sin. You know, in her life, I imagine that story of adultery was something she'd like to edit out. You know what I mean? She probably doesn't want to stand up front and have that written down until she experienced the grace of forgiveness. Now, what was once shame is now victory. And she could never imagine telling her story without telling you about the day that she committed adultery and she met Jesus and he set her free. God edits our story. He doesn't edit. He redeems and he rewrites. And what was once shame and destruction leads to victory. Confession is not about failure. It's about victory. We see it as failure, don't we? It's about restoration. It's about the opportunity to admit what's going on, to be seen. And when you're seen, there's an opportunity to transform generations that go down to the thousands. But what's keeping us from from receiving this gift? Frederick Buechner, in his book, Telling Stories, he, he captures it this way. He says, what we hunger for perhaps more than anything else is to be known in our full humanness. And yet that is often what we also fear more than anything else. Amen. It's important to tell at least from time to time the secret of who we truly are and fully are, even if we are to tell it only to ourselves because otherwise we run the risk of losing track of who we truly and fully are and little by little come to accept instead the highly edited version which we put forth and hope that the world will find it more acceptable than the real thing. David confesses he identifies with his condition, but see, he understands his, his need. And he says in, in verses five and six, behold, he knows his condition. I was brought forth in iniquity. Sin is not a surprise. In my mother's womb, sin conceived me. And then he says, behold, you delight. Notice in truth. But not truth that fills the mind. It has to be a truth that we do the hard work of allowing it to descend into the heart, which means it brings us to a place of freedom, honesty, vulnerability before God and before others. Because if you're afraid of appearances, then you're not afraid of God. We're just simply afraid of man. And we deny the grace of God every time we refuse to bring the truth of where we are into the light where we can be set free. We have the opportunity, I think, to discover what David discovered, that grace is is more powerful than our sin. It's a book that I really uh, recently was introduced to called Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools by a pastor named Tyler Stanton. And I wanna share this illustration that he captures as as we close about the power of confession. And he says in the ancient Near Eastern world in which the scriptures are based, what would happen is an invading army would come in and destroy and wipe out a city. They'd burn it to the ground and instead of going off and developing new land, they would simply build a new civilization on top of a new civilization on top of a new civilization, era upon era, culture upon culture. 
So that when archaeologists go back and they start digging, they find different eras and different cultures leading all the way down. And he says, this is a great picture of confession. It's a great picture of confession because what God's calling us to is not just to confess the surface of our lives, but to confess the sin that we've been carrying for years, the sin of our past, the sin of the hurts and the brokenness, the sins of what others have done to us and we have done to others that honestly is impacting our present because we haven't experienced the freedom of recovery and the freedom of being released from the burden of that shame. I think in the church sometimes we define and we think spiritual maturity is the need to confess less, right? That as I become mature, I don't need to confess. What if spiritual maturity is actually the freedom to confess because I'm no longer afraid? And what I want more than anything else is I want God. And I'm not going to allow my fear or the condemnation of others to keep me from what I need the most. Spiritual maturity is freedom to bring our whole self to a God who wants to receive us. Two verses I wanna leave you with that I think always need to travel together. James chapter five. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, notice, not so that we can be forgiven. Healing comes when we bring the truth of what we've done into the light. But when you're listening to someone's confession, are you willing to carry their burden? Otherwise, you are not safe. Because if you're an observer of somebody else's sin, you can be a judge of that sin, right? But when somebody confesses to you, what they're inviting you to do is to carry it with them. And you may say, I've never been tempted in that way. You've been tempted, come on. You know what it's like. What would it look like for us as a church, not just to confess, but to carry the burden of somebody else's sin and temptation so that we love them so much we don't throw them down at the dust before Jesus. But with the eyes of love that God has loved us, we say, I don't condemn you because he didn't condemn me. Church confession sets us free, but are we willing to have the boldness and the courage to run to it? You know, as we we conclude this morning, we're gonna receive communion and it's an opportunity for us to respond. If you didn't grab the communion elements, they're available in the back. They're also available up front. We want you to take those elements right now and we're gonna spend just a little bit of time. And I don't know what God's pulling up in you. I imagine for some of you, there are stories in your life you're afraid to reveal and that could be something you need to notice, that there's fear and maybe today, take that step just to bring it into God's presence. Father, I want, to, I want to be set free. And others of you may need to be prayed for this morning. You know, today, today when God convicts you, that's, that's the gift of his spirit moving in your life. It's not something to walk away from. It's something to run into. And so our prayer team will be up front. Would you take the courage to run naked and unashamed? into the presence of your Father and allow the people that love you to pray over you.
Let's spend a few moments in prayer and then we're together gonna receive these elements of God's grace.